Good morning, New Valley. We are bringing the good news to you from the Gospel of Mark this week. And we've been in this for quite a while, but the section that we're in the scripture right now is focusing on Jesus in a confrontational mode. We see Jesus confronting Jerusalem, Jesus cleansing the temple. He confronts the Pharisees with the widow's might parable. Now he's confronting the very apex of religious life itself, the temple. Please read with me. It's Mark chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes to your word. Give us a sense of your wonder. Allow your word to break us, but also allow it to build us up. Help us to build on what's solid. We need you, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Around 2006, I had an encounter with wonder. I was playing soccer, and I noticed this young woman on the side of the soccer field, and I was struck, and I had to stop and ask someone, who is that? Long story short, Four months later, I had married the love of my life, Emily Shea. And on our honeymoon, we drank deep. We were up late, we watched movies, we took long walks, we did impulsive out-of-state excursions to get good barbecue, and it was a beautiful time, and we got our fill. We were like kids in a candy store. And the disciples also were wonderstruck when they looked at the temple. They saw the beauty. It was a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful. But this is the problem with this. Beauty is good. It's wonderful. It's something to behold. But the problem is we often put all of our hopes in these wonderful things. All of our hope. And the one thing I want to proclaim this morning, what I want you to hear and remember resounding in your ears as we finish is, since Christ is the source of all wonder and beauty, we must not hang our hopes on beauty that fades. In this season with the COVID-19, we have the unique opportunity to get some perspective. A look behind the curtains, if you will. And our prayer is that things will rebound. But what this has reminded me is that every wonderful thing has its limitations. There's two points in this sermon. It's pretty simple. It's just the temple wonderful and the temple broken. The temple wonderful. Coming out of the temple, one of Jesus' disciples, inspired by the glory of his nation's icon, stops and reflects on what's happening. Wow! What is this? What wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And he did this rightfully so because the temple was perhaps the largest and most magnificent structure in the ancient world. Think of a time when you've encountered something glorious and beautiful and wonderful. Maybe it was a person. 
Perhaps it was something in nature, a vista, a view, a building, artwork, or design. These things stop us in our tracks, and they call our attention to take in the glory that we're seeing. And that was a very natural thing to do. The temple was built in 516 B.C., but Herod, the great, improved it. He did renovations, and they were spectacular renovations. This temple was a huge mountain of white marble, and it was bedazzled with gold. And anyone who would come and see this in the daylight would see just this massive mountain of white shining and sparkling in the sunlight. The disciples in this passage seem to be paying special attention to the stones and the size of the stones. And just to give you some insight why that was, the retaining walls of this massive temple plaza rested on blocks of limestone so huge that archaeologists today still don't know how they moved those stones. Some of them measure over 40 feet in length and over 500 tons. And to give you some perspective, the largest stones used in the Egyptian pyramids were 11 tons. So these are almost, you know, 50 times larger. The eastern wall of the platform towered more than 300 feet. Everyone who passed by were in awe of the sight. And few things, uh, Mary Healy writes, few things on earth looked more permanent and indestructible than the temple. We know that 40 years later, this temple would be completely razed. What a shock that must have been to the disciples to hear this. Ultimately, the disciples weren't wrong for taking in this beauty. It would have been odd for them not to because it was a spectacular sight. It was one of, likely could have been one of the wonders of the world. So appreciating beauty and greatness isn't wrong. After all, God created matter, the stuff of earth, and he said in the beginning, it is good. But we make a grave mistake when we make that an ultimate thing. And we put our security and hope on. One theologian speaks of the elusiveness of beauty and the wonder in this way. He says, beauty is like justice. It slips through our fingers. We photograph the sunset, but all we get is the memory of the moment, not the moment itself. We buy the recording, but the symphony says something different when we listen to it at home. We climb the mountain, and though the view from the summit is indeed magnificent, it leaves us wanting more. Even if we could build a house there and gaze at it all day long at the seam, the itch wouldn't go away. Indeed, the beauty sometimes seems to be the itching itself, the sense of longing, the kind of pleasure which is exquisite yet leaves us unsatisfied. God, we know, has a way of sinking things that people think are indestructible and unmovable. The Titanic, 1912. Stock market, 1929. Costco supply of toilet paper, 2020. But yes, we need to enjoy these things and marvel at the beauty and the creativity that God has given us on earth. But we have to take pause. Let's, let's go back and rewind to the beginning of 2020. The forecast was beautiful for the economy. Stocks were up, unemployment was down, housing market was up and up. The State of the Union address was not far off from the disciples' exclamation, ah, 
What wonderful stones. And the thing is, we're far too easily pleased. We'd settle for a beautiful building when Christ would give us himself. We'd settle for a dollar when Christ would give us an inheritance. We'd settle for a night of pleasure when Christ would give us pleasures forevermore, Psalm 16. Growing up in a single-parent household, I had this sense that if I could only get married, I would be complete. There would be this richness and this fullness that would flood my life, and no longer would I have this aching, yearning, and longing. So back to Emily and my honeymoon. We had a wonderful time, as I explained. But this went on for about a month or two before we looked at each other. We stopped and felt like kids who had been locked in the candy store. We were overwhelmed with a sense of emptiness. Though we had a wonderful time, there's emptiness. And we looked at each other and said, we need to get back to what's stable and what's solid. We need to get back to something greater than just filling our days and evenings with each other. We need God. We need his word. We need time with him. So since the reality is that no person or achievement or title, no words can add to our worth, we must look to the Lord. We must hang our hope on him. The disciples were mesmerized by the beauty and wonder of the temple stones. The beauty and the astonishing size gave them this sense of stability and permanence. And we live in an amazing and beautiful country, don't we? And many of us have experienced the good life where we go out to eat, where we have good investments, good retirement saved up, where our children are growing, they're healthy, they're doing well. But these things are fragile in and of themselves. So what is this COVID-19 experience exposed about your hope? Where is your hope resting right now? Bank? Children, health, Christ is the only rock. He's the only solid thing. He's the only thing that will be here forever. One theologian says this, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. The enjoyment of him is our proper, is only proper, and is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of any, or all earthly friends. These are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. So to put our hope in anything else, it's, it's like a man who's drowning in four feet of water. He's reaching, he's striving, he's looking everywhere for life support. But if he would just put his feet down and stand, he'd realize there's something stable underneath. So just take a time to think and reflect, what are you standing on right now? What are you reaching for? Have the beautiful things God's given you, have they become ultimate things? God has so much more for us. And how do we get it? We go to what's stable. God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need God's spirit to illuminate his word to us. So we cry out to him and he fills us.
you may see where this is going right now, but the reality is no matter of what you're finding beautiful and stable, it's going to disappear. It's not an if, but it's when. Because loved ones pass away, seasons change, empires rise and fall, houses dilapidate. Everything that we love and cherish has a time limit on it. Remember the, the main point that we want to get here. It's since Christ is a source of all wonder and beauty, we must not hang our hope on the beauty that fades. The temple broken. The temple was not only the worship center of the Hebrew culture, but it was also the art gallery, the concert hall, and the poetry library. It's difficult to understand how important the temple was in ancient times. Even other temples, it was in the Roman Empire a capital offense to desecrate any temple. So imagine Jesus and his disciples there exiting this temple. And little did they know that as Jesus walks out, the glory of the Lord, once again, just like in Ezekiel 10, the glory of the Lord has just departed from the temple. Everything that the temple was to point to, everything that the temple was to be, all of the life, all of the beauty had just walked out. And all that was left behind was the corruption, the prejudice, the cheating. The temple was an empty tomb now. So imagine the wonderstruck disciples standing there gazing up and the shock they must have experienced when Christ would speak these next words. Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. The disciples would have also been shocked to know that this would happen only 35 years later. This was a shock not only because of the sheer size, but also because this was the central place of the worship of God. This is where heaven touched down. This is where God was impacting the world through this central point. It's where sin offerings were made. It was the holiest place on earth where God's presence literally dwelled. Now imagine if someone would tell you in 35 years that there would be no White House, no Wall Street, no parks, no restaurants, no financial institutions. Imagine that. The disciples were maybe wondering, is worship about to end on earth? How can this be? Is the good life over for us? From all appearances, worship was about to end in Israel, but Jesus had a plan. He knew that if the physical temple was torn down, that he would be the new temple, that his people would become the temple. The new temple, the everlasting temple, the temple that would never be corrupted. Christ is the temple that would never be prejudiced, the temple that would be pure, good, and holy, a holy habitation that could not be corrupted. This means that when those things that we rely on are broken, there is hope. What's broken? There is hope. How many of you have someone in your life that's into essential oils? Uh, my wife's into essential oils. We kind of went this uh, organic granola way uh, about 10 years ago, and it made a real impression on us. Like some of the most popular essential oils out there are lavender, peppermint, lemon, eucalyptus, tree, 
tea tree, and spikenard. And it's been around for a long time. Jesus was actually anointed by a woman with spikenard. But do you know how this amazing and potent oil is produced? How do these leaves and flowers become essential oils? Through crushing them. It's the crushing force that produces the fragrant perfume that we love. It's only through heat and this crushing force that the fibers give up their fragrance. One of my favorite scenes in the Bible depicts our Lord who is crushed and resurrected, serving his saints, his disciples. Jesus, in John 21, 12, is making breakfast for his disciples. And he'd been crushed and resurrected. And the beautiful thing about this is Jesus is making breakfast with nail-scarred hands. The glorified Jesus has scars. These are going to be the reminders when we're 10,000 years into heaven that there is a great price paid for us, that the beauty of eternal life, security, stability, finally came through Christ being crushed for our sins. The strange exchange. He was broken so that we would be healed. He was wounded so that we could have life. Where have you been crushed? Where are you being crushed right now during this thing? Reflect on the moments of the week. Maybe there were tears, intense anxiety. What's crushing you right now? Because in that crushing, there's an opportunity to be a fragrance to the Lord as you come and let the wounded healer lift you up. What's broken in your life? Nothing's too broken. I love Isaiah chapter 66, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah is speaking a vision, the words of God himself. And God is saying, heaven's my throne and earth's my footstool. Essentially, he's saying, I sit in the Milky Way and I kick my feet up on the earth. Who can do anything that will impress me? All these things his hands have made. And all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I look. This is the one to whom God pays special attention to. He's not impressed by our accolades, by our physical strength, by our achievement. So what is he looking for? God says, I'm looking for he who's humble, who's contrite in spirit, and who trembles at my word. And what I see here is three ways of being broken. Brokenness in humility, a broken and contrite spirit, and a trembling at the word of God, the source of truth in life. This season is a call. It's a call to you and a call to me to put our hope and our worship in something enduring. Jesus. Jesus is the broken temple and the wonderful temple. Jesus is the temple wonderful. He came to earth as an ordinary man. But he was wonderful in this, that he lived a flawless life. He loved the broken. He honored the poor. He was full of grace and mercy. 
His beauty couldn't not necessarily be seen on the outside, but internal. And by his actions and words, we saw a beauty that eclipses all others. Jesus was a temple that was broken. Jesus was wounded. He was pierced. And ultimately, he was killed in order that we would have forgiveness of sins. And Jesus is the temple resurrected. Our glorified Lord will greet us in the gates of heaven with scarred hands and a wound in his side and all power and authority. Jesus is the wonderful temple. Jesus is the temple that was broken. Jesus is the temple that's been resurrected. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and ask that by your Spirit, your word would break us and open our eyes to see our need for you. Would you also let, Lord, the circumstance of this time that we're living in to open our eyes and to switch our allegiances from beautiful things to the source of all beauty. We love you, Lord. We rely on you, and we ask for your grace in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.